The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. All right. What's up, everybody? Y'all doing good? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Hey, uh, my name's Spencer. If I hadn't met you yet, I'm glad you guys are here. Man, it's been a beautiful day. Um, hey, uh, let's turn to the book of Acts. Obviously, that's where we're at all weekend. But let's go to Acts chapter 2. So we're rewinding back. You know, Birdie was in Acts chapter 9, other places. Um, but we're going back in time to Acts chapter 2. To kind of see how this story started, because to be real, you know, at this point we've seen the disciples just like going crazy. They they have been healing people. They're being thrown in prison. They're preaching these giant sermons where, you know, three to five thousand people are coming to know Christ. And, you know, if you didn't know better, you'd be like, man, these guys are like, they're not human. They're they're superheroes. They're doing things that I couldn't couldn't ever do you know the lord's empowered them for this work which is true um, but you know what i want to do is i want to go back and rewind and look because it, it hadn't always been that way you know these guys were scared to death before one giant event happened to really transform them into what you see in in the book of acts so uh you know i know Bertie asked last night how many of y'all had been here during the summer but we do this one thing during the summer you guys didn't get to see it, but it, uh, we have fight night here. Uh, so basically what we do is we get some of our guys' staff and some of our girls' staff, actually, and we pair them off. And we just right up here, we have these big mats, and we play all this intro music. But they have these, have you all seen the giant boxing gloves that are like this big? So you got these giant padded boxing gloves, and, you know, just get all hype, and, uh, and you know, the guys will go in there and just, I mean, wear each other out just for no other reason other than, our entertainment, just beat the fool out of each other, and we'll scream, and it's great. Anyway, so there was about three years ago, uh, maybe not quite that long ago, but anyway, we had a guy on staff who he was, he was about 100 pounds. I'm a small guy, but he he was real small. I mean, he's he's about 100 pounds, and he had a personality that kind of matched his body type because any time he'd be in a room like this, people would be talking and interacting, he'd be way in the back reading a giant theology book. And he'd just just real quiet, you know, and you'd be like, hey, man, how's it going? And he'd be like, and nothing wrong with that. You know, he's just a real quiet, real timid guy. And, uh, you know, he's changed a lot over the last few years, really come out of his shell. But during that time, man, he was just really timid. Anyway, so this guy's name was Jackson. And uh, and so one night I asked the guys, I was like, hey, who's who's up? Who's fighting tonight? And usually, you know, it's it's guys that are really aggressive or whatever. And they're like, oh, so and so is fighting against uh, against Jackson. And I was like, oh, no. That is not a good idea. That's a murder. Like, that's, we're not going to do that. That is a bad idea. He's going to get killed. And they're like, no, he really, he really wants to. And so I was like, I, I don't know. So anyway, fast forward to fight night comes. And the way we do it, we really hype up the music. And so this was in the metal building where y'all ate. Uh, we, we didn't have this building back then. And so <laughs> the first guy comes out. And, and he's, 
we're trying to get somebody that's somewhat in this guy's weight class, but there is nobody in this guy's weight class other than, like, middle school girls. And so, like, we uh, – so this other guy comes out, and they're playing, like, rocky music or, you know, something pretty hard. And this other guy's like ah, – ah, 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 and I'm thinking – Oh, man. Oh, this is not going to be good. I'm in charge of risk management at camp where this guy's fixing to get killed. It's going to be on me. And, and so then they play this other guy. They play Jackson's music, and he's just kind of like, doo, 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 doo. he comes walking down the stairs. He's got his shirt off, you know, and he's got these big old giant gloves, and he just comes down, and, and they get in the ring, and everybody's just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Well, all of a sudden they go, all right, ready, ready, ready. You ready? You ready? All right, let's get it on. And something changed. And Jackson all of a sudden went click and flipped whatever switch it is. And it was just like, you see it chained in his eyes. And he's like, ah! a noise that that man has never made in his life. And everybody's like, oh. And all of a sudden he comes out there and he's like, wow, 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 wow. And he's just working this other guy. And everybody's going, oh, my gosh, what is he, what is he doing? And he gets done with that first round. Like, he's, bah, bah, bah. He gets done with the first round. We're like, ding, 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 we're done. And he goes like, and everybody's going what is happening what is going and he he ends up destroying that guy and we get done with the whole fight and it's like ding 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 all right it's over it's over and he's like okay thanks and just kind of heads off real quiet and we're like what was that he but he came back like six different times to fight and every time he like Shuffle in there, flip that switch, destroy somebody, and flip it back off, and just kind of, <laughs> just kind of take off. But if you only saw like a video of this guy fighting, you'd think, "Oh man, that guy's an animal. That guy, he's probably too intense to hang out with. He's probably one of those guys that's just like, all like cracking cans on his skull, you know, just like he's probably that intense." But you wouldn't know that like his pastime is reading giant books, and. So if you only saw that snapshot of him, teach, or, or, or only saw it fighting, you wouldn't know the real Jackson, you know? And I think a lot of times when you read the book of Acts and you see these stories of like prison escapes and uh, these guys getting killed for their faith and this, these mob violent situations, tons of miracles and healings, the dead being raised, you'd be tempted to think, man, that's so, man, that's... These guys are like superhuman, but really, it wasn't always like that. Do y'all remember back to the crucifixion? Y'all remember where the disciples were during the crucifixion? Exactly. Nobody remembers where they were. There was this guy, John, who hung around. Everybody else was like, "Mm mm-mm. They were were gone everywhere. They scattered because they were terrified. They were terrified. In fact, on the day that Jesus raises from the dead, they gather back together. John, uh, John 20, you don't have to turn there, we'll have it on the board. John 20, the day Jesus rose from the dead, you remember they're meeting together and the women come and they're like, hey, the tomb's empty. And they're like, Ugh. so John 20, it says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Pause. This is a very different picture from what you see in like Acts 9 where these guys are boldly going out, preaching sermons, not scared to be thrown into jail. These guys, they're huddled in there. They're thinking, Jesus is dead, and we're next. We're, we're going to get killed. Something happens. There's actually two things that happen to totally, totally change these guys and change history. So it says, they were locked. Uh, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus came. 
And he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands, and he showed them his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to him again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. Which, to be real, if you see this group of guys huddling in this room, terrified, you think, you're going to send these guys? I mean, these guys are third stringers at best. You see, they are terrified. But there's two things, really, that happens to change these guys. And one of them is the resurrection of Jesus. This is a huge, earth-changing, obviously, a history-changing event that Christ rose from the dead. But it also changes these guys. And Jesus stays with these guys for, like, 40 days. He's kind of in and out, appearing to different crowds of people, appearing to his disciples. Acts 1, we'll have it on the board. It says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. He appeared to them for 40 days. And spoke to him about the kingdom of God. And while he was with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's a promise that Jesus has given. He's saying, y'all need to stay right here. John baptized with water, but something's coming. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they don't know it, but it's going to happen in a week from this time. It's happening in seven to ten days. And you can feel like this energy rising as Jesus is talking about. Y'all stay right here. Something's coming. And he goes on. Well, these guys start guessing like, what is it? Because you remember, these guys thought Jesus is going to be a military leader that's going to overthrow Rome. So they're thinking, oh, maybe it's game day. Maybe it's time for us to overthrow Rome. And so they ask him. They start guessing. When they come together, they ask him, Lord, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, is that what we're doing? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority. They don't really know what's going to happen. Verse 8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's telling them, stay right here. There's a power coming. And you can feel like this energy, you know, rising in the room even as they're thinking, what sort of power is God? Get? I mean, he just raised from the dead. What sort of power is he fixing to give us? And feel this energy kind of rising. So I went on, uh, y'all go on YouTube and fall into these like YouTube black holes sometimes. I, I do a lot. So it usually starts with, I'll go in there and watch basketball highlights but the other day, I found myself going basketball highlights, and I ended up with people getting struck by lightning. And I don't remember how, what the dots were that connected me there, but there's some pretty fascinating videos out there about lightning and people getting struck by lightning. You know, all right, let me get nerdy. You know about 500 people in the U.S. per year get struck by lightning? That's a lot of people. Most of them in Florida. But 500, it's true, most, uh, 500 people get struck by lightning. You know how many of those guys die? About 10%. About 10%. So you, in reality, don't worry, you got a better chance of being killed by a vending machine than by lightning. So you're good to go. But in reality, man, a lot of people get struck by lightning. I've never been struck by lightning, but I have some friends that were. So they were, uh, these friends were backpacking, uh, not too far from here, about an hour from here. They were backpacking. They were up on this high ridge, and it was kind of one of those situations where they're up near the top of the ridge, but the mountain goes up a little bit higher than them. You know what I'm saying? So they couldn't see over the mountain, but they were right at the top. 
and they couldn't see that the storm was rolling in on the other side of the mountain. And they're up on top. Everything looks good that way. But this way, it's dark, and they can't see it. Anyway, by the time the storm gets on them, it's too late. Like, they're already, they're trying to, you know, get down, spread out, you know, get on their packs or whatever. But the, uh, what happened is lightning struck right near them. It didn't strike anybody directly, but, okay, so nerdy. Uh, so, you know, lightning, when it strikes, it's not just like crack. It's more like you got a negative and a positive charge, you know, one in the cloud, one in the ground, and it's more like whack, like one's coming up, one's coming down like this. And so when, when the lightning strikes, sometimes it also does this like splash where there's a ground lightning that when it hits the ground, it kind of goes like goes out like this, and that's what got them. So they said they were sitting there, and they, they saw the storm clouds. They're trying to get out of the way, and all of a sudden it was like they wake up on the ground. And they don't know what's going on. Most of them got knocked out, not all of them. But weird things happened. So, like, one guy was wearing, like, a belt with metal studs on it, and his belt totally changed colors. It was, like, purple and gold. And then one guy, the buckles on his backpack all melted. It was, like, weird stuff, but nobody was really hurt. So I did some, uh, I did some, after my little YouTube thing, I, I did some research on, like, lightning strikes. Apparently, since there's so many people that get struck and survive, there's a lot of things that happen right before you get struck by lightning. A lot of people report that they hear buzzing, like the, everything's just kind of like, a lot of people say if they're wearing a metal wedding ring, that, they, that they're like putting their ring up to their, to their ear because like, my ring's making noise, crack, you know, and then they get struck. Or a lot of people say that everything goes blue for about three seconds and then crack. Like uh, some people say their hair stands up on end. Some people say that they taste metal. Some people say that they smell chlorine for whatever reason, but there's always this like buzzing sound, some sort of anticipation to the lightning strike. That's what I'm picturing here in these days. Like there's this excitement, this building where Jesus is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to bring power. Something is coming. I'm going to bring power here. And there's fixing to be this like crack of the Holy Spirit's power. And right now, like this energy is just building and building. So he's saying, stay right here. And this power is going to come. Because in reality, these guys, they haven't done much. The church hasn't done much since Jesus raised from the dead. But it's about to go from zero to 100 real quick. It's like pouring gas on a fire. It's about to whoosh, And these guys are about to be bold. They're going to heal. They're going to raise people from the dead. And eventually, most of these guys are going to die for the gospel. Some of these guys are going to be uh, beheaded. They're going to be crucified. What happens to change them from guys who are hiding in a room to people who are being beheaded from the go- for the gospel. Two things. Jesus raises from the dead, but the second thing is Pentecost. Y'all know what that is? Maybe you've heard of like Pentecostal churches or some of y'all have been part of Pentecostal churches. What is the day of Pentecost? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. The resurrection and Pentecost are two huge things that really do change history. All right? So, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost, we're in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they're all together in one place. Pause. Y'all know what Pentecost was? It's not just this day, but it's like an old, 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 Old Testament day. So we don't have any context for this, so I've got to get nerdy for seriously like eight minutes. All right, so if I were writing something and I were to say, it was Christmas morning, y'all would know exactly what to picture, right? You picture Christmas morning at your house, maybe you got a fire going, maybe you got presents, maybe you got family around, whatever. You know, you have a context to understand Christmas Day. But for these guys, they would have a context when it says it was Pentecost Day, they'd be like, oh, 
I got you, I got you. We don't have that. So let's take eight nerdy minutes and just think about what is Pentecost. All right, so you remember in the Old Testament, they have all these feasts, they have all these parties, and they're really weird, some of them, but they have all these different feasts. So the feast of, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the day of Pentecost happens 50 days after the Passover. Y'all heard of that one? Y'all remember the Passover is when in back in Egypt, when uh, they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and then the angel of death Passover. You remember that? Well, do you know that that Old Testament feast that when Jesus dies, it's actually on Passover weekend. It's right there, like uh, on Passover weekend, which is really symbolic. Well, then on the day after the Sabbath on that weekend, it starts another feast. All right, so we're getting nerdy. We're going like the inception of feasts, the feast within a feast. Uh, so on, you got Passover, the weekend where Jesus died. Then you got the Sabbath, which for them is Saturday. Well, that Sunday is, starts a little miniature feast, and that's called uh, the Feast of the First Fruits. I'm going to get to Pentecost in a second. The Feast of the First Fruits is really important. All right, so uh, I don't know where you guys live like if y'all live in like farming communities or maybe if you were driving here and you drove through like farming communities out here, they're just cutting the corn this week. Uh, and so if you drove down the four lane last week, you'd see all the corn standing up is really pretty. Uh, but if you notice all the corn out here on the four lane is all the same height. Why? Because I'll plant it on the same day, like at the same time, because we plant with machines right? So we go through and, you know, we till up the ground, then we plant it. And so the machines do it really quickly. And so we can plant a lot of stuff. So when the crops come up, it's like all at the same time. Well, back in these days, they didn't have machines. So what they do is, you know, guy and a couple of his sons, they get out and they plant this little bit and then they go to bed and then they plant this little bit and then they go to bed and then they plant this little bit. Well, by the time they make it all the way down this field planting and all the way down back this way, I mean, a lot of time has passed. So when their crops grew, it wasn't like, wham. It was like this little bit of grow, and then this little bit of grow, and then this little bit of grow, and then this little bit. So the Feast of the first fruits was a thing that happened right after Passover that what would happen is right when those first plants popped up, these guys worshiping the Lord, they were supposed to go and cut down the first plants, right? The first bit of fruit they got, the first bit of corn they got, and they take it and offer it to the Lord, which had to be so scary because they didn't know if any of the rest of it's going to come. They're giving this little bit saying, all right, Lord, please bring the rest of the harvest in. It, it could be a long time before the harvest comes, but it's a, it's a faithful offering to the Lord. It's really cool the way the Lord lines up all these Old Testament feasts with New Testament events. So Jesus dies on the Passover. He's the lamb that was killed for us. Well, he raises from the dead on the feast of the first fruits. In fact, there's a verse in the New Testament that talks about it. First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty it says this. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. It's making a point. It's saying that Jesus was the first one, the first, not the first to be raised from the dead, but he's the first, and many are coming after him. That he was crushed, he raised from the dead, and then there's a harvest coming after him. So Jesus was raised on the feast of the first fruits. Now Fast forward 50 days, and it's Pentecost Day. Do you know what the Feast of Pentecost was? It's the Feast of Harvest, where you bring in the rest of the stuff. It's this big, basically like a harvest festival, where they bring in their, their harvest and offer sacrifices and everything. So Jesus is the first to be raised, and then 50 days later, this day of Pentecost happens, the harvest festival. 
It's really symbolic. Keep that in mind, and we'll, we'll join back into the story. Uh, so, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost, the harvest festival, when the harvest festival, Pentecost arrived, they're all together in one place. And remember, Jesus said, power is coming. Power is coming. Remember, he had promised in, in Acts 1, he said, you heard uh, from me, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Luke says you'll be clothed with power from on high. And here it is. Here's the lightning crack of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven. There's about 120 people in this room, okay? There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they're sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Pause. That's really weird, right? But there's 120 people in the room, right? So maybe like this middle section's worth of people. And all of a sudden, there's this noise like... This huge wind happening in the room. And then this ball of fire appears in the room, crazy, and separates. And then a little piece of fire goes and rests on each person in the room. What the heck is going on? What, what is that? What does that have to do with the Harvest Festival? Well, it, it goes on and says this. Well, let, me, let me just pause for a second. So many times in the Bible... The Spirit of God is associated with wind and fire. You see it over and over and over. You think about the burning bush. You think about the pillar of fire. You think about the top of Mount Sinai. You know, John the Baptist said that, the, that uh, Jesus would baptize the people with the Holy Spirit and fire. You know, Israel had seen fire fall on sacrifices, fire fall on a mountain. They'd seen fire fall on the temple. But here God's doing something totally different is that the Spirit of God isn't coming to a temple. The Spirit of God is coming to each individual person. And each individual person is now going to be the temple of God. This is, this is the real miracle of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit is not just for the temple. He's coming to live inside of each believer. This day marks something totally, totally new and sacred and different. Verse 4. And they were all filled or indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of times you think about Pentecost and you skip to the speaking in tongues part. And like, whoa, that's weird. The fire and the wind. And now they're speaking in different languages. I don't know what just happened. Move aside. Let's read about a shipwreck. Like, but here, the real miracle is that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. That's the real miracle. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because you remember in the Old Testament, when they talked about the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit would come on somebody and then leave. That's why David prays, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He'd rush on somebody and let him do a work and then take off. This was something different where the Holy Spirit's coming to live inside. And the Old Testament talks about this day, this day. Isaiah 32, it says, the Spirit of God will one day be poured on God's people. Ezekiel 11 says that God's Spirit will one day be put into God's people and change them from within, causing obedience. Joel 2 says people inhabited with the Spirit will have power. This day, the day of Pentecost, the day of the harvest, changed history. And it changed you if you're a Christian. Because you should know, man, if you're a believer... The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. The same Spirit that split the Red Sea and raised Jesus from the dead, that Spirit is in you. J 
Jesus said it's going to come in John 14. He says, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, who the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him. You know him because he dwells with you, and he will be in you. He says the Holy Spirit is going to live in you. And then in later uh, New Testament books in, in 1 Corinthians, it says it's happened. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? 1 Corinthians 3 says, don't you know you are God's temple and God's spirit lives inside of you? This all happens on Pentecost morning. At about 9 in the morning, while they're praying, the wind, the fire, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of that, Peter stands up and gives this speech and says, hey, this is what the Old Testament was talking about. This is what Joel was talking about when he said, the Spirit's coming on you to live inside of you, and you'll have visions and dreams. And at the end of his speech, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. This is brand new preaching, indwelling. And for us, when we repent and believe, we receive that same spirit. In fact, we're sealed with that same spirit. That is a miracle. Now, back to the story. What, what, what's the deal with the tongues? Why are these guys speaking in other languages? That happens sometimes in the Bible, and sometimes it's confusing. You're like, why in the world, if the spirit comes on these guys, why are they all of a sudden speaking? Is it just gibberish, or is it language? What's going on exactly? Here in Acts 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a miracle, but they're also filled and equipped to do the work of the Holy Spirit to explain Jesus' mission. This is about the gospel. See, a lot of people, uh, really, they hear Pentecost and they think, oh, speaking in tongues. But really, we should hear Pentecost and think, oh, the harvest. The harvest. Jesus is about to bring a lot of people to himself. And one of the means he uses is the power that he gives and the tool of speaking in tongues. Really, the power was given for a reason, for a job. And the power that's given is the power to move the most immovable object, the human heart. Landscapes can be changed by a bulldozer. Governments can be overthrown with bullets or words, but the human heart can't be penetrated by any natural force. So why did the the Spirit cause them to speak in other languages all of a sudden? The next verse tells us why. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. All right, pause. So you got the 120 that are in the room, and then in Jerusalem, you got other guys who fear God, but they're from all over the world. They're gathering in for these different festivals, but there's people from all over the place that fear God but don't know Jesus yet. So it says this, verse 6, at this, at this sound, the sound of them speaking in other tongues, the multitude, the other nations, they came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and they were astonished, saying, aren't, aren't these guys that are speaking Galileans? How do we hear each of us in our own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, Li- Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. See, the power of the Holy Spirit, it isn't mystical, it's practical. They're indwelled in a permanent way, but they're equipped in a really practical way to spread the gospel. It's like the Tower of Babel in reverse. Remember the Tower of Babel, God confused their languages so they wouldn't work. But here, God mixed their languages so that they could work. He was empowering them for the work. 
And what's crazy is that, like, these guys, the Galileans, this 120, they were considered by these people to be, like, the dumbest people. They were supposed to be really uncultured, like, just like, ding, you know, like, super, you know, just like uncultured folks. When I was growing up, uh, so I grew up in Columbus, Georgia, which is right across the river from Alabama. And when I was a little kid, I heard so many Alabama jokes, like, just about, like, white trash, dumb Alabama folks. Anybody here from Alabama? Okay, so y'all probably made the same jokes about Georgia folks, but like it was right across the river. And when I was a little kid, I really thought people from Alabama are not very smart because I heard so many jokes. But they were just jokes and that, you know, like the people from Alabama probably joke about us. But like it's the same sort of thing where everybody in that region's like, what? The, the Galileans? Come here, come here. You hear this guy? Look, this guy's from Galilee and he's talking in Phrygian. Come here, you got to hear this. And all of a sudden, this crowd starts gathering around. And they're like, man, how, how in the world is, is this guy speaking in Parthian? And they gather around, and basically, these guys start spreading the gospel through the languages. It's, see, the gift wasn't just for the room. It was for the work. It was for the harvest, really. Don't let speaking in tongues and the fire distract from the message. The message is the Holy Spirit is coming to indwell us and equip us to do the work. So I think you, you might say, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, the Holy Spirit's the same and so is the mission. In reality, if you are a believer, and not everybody in this room is, but if you're a believer, the same Holy Spirit that filled these guys is in you too. We can't limit the work of the Holy Spirit to what's in the past. He hasn't been silent since the scriptures. He's been vocal. Let me give three takeaways, all right? Three takeaways for us. Since we're indwelled with the Spirit and we're empowered for the same task, which is making Jesus known, number one, because of the Spirit's indwelling, we should be different. I mean, you think about, we live in an age that these Old Testament guys would have loved to experience. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Really, Jesus, think about. You think about, uh, man, it'd be awesome to live in different time periods. But imagine if you walked around with Jesus. Imagine how holy you'd be. If you literally were one of the 12 who walked around with Jesus, saw the miracles, heard the teaching every day, that would be like best case scenario. But Jesus says, nope, what you're living in right now is best case scenario. In John 16, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus said, it's better if I go so that you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. What does the Holy Spirit do for you? And he convicts us of sin. He opens our mind to scriptures. He changes our wants from within. He gives us a connection with other believers. He makes us fall out of love with the world and in love with his word and with people. See, the spirit grows some things and kills some others. So number one, because of the spirit's indwelling, we should be different. I'll say this. If you think your addiction to porn is too strong to overcome or your addiction to other people's opinions or exercise or alcohol or whatever it is, if you think your addiction's too strong, man, Nothing's too strong for the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And we should be different. We should be different because we're indwelled with the Spirit. Number two, 
Second takeaway is not everybody in here is a believer. But if you repent from your sins, just like Peter said, if you want to receive the Spirit, man, listen to Peter. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll be indwelled with the Spirit. That is extended to you today, really. And I think third takeaway is we should pray to be empowered, right, to be continually filled with the Spirit that is empowered for the task, the, to do the work of the Spirit. You know, the Spirit doesn't indwell these guys so they can go back home and eat, right? The Spirit doesn't empower them just to chill in Jerusalem. He empowers them for a purpose, for a task, right? So why aren't you seeing the outpouring of the Spirit in your life? Maybe we're not praying for it. But the second thing is, maybe we're not on the same mission the Spirit is on. In reality, the Spirit here is not empowering for arbitrary reasons. He's empowering for the spread of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is not going to empower you to scroll through Instagram. He's empowered you for something bigger and better for the spread of the gospel. But what do you want for your life? Something bigger than paying the bills, hopefully. Something bigger than marriage, hopefully. Something bigger than success, hopefully. Are you about what the Spirit is about? Matthew 9 says, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Man, the thought of getting to the end of my life and looking back and realize that I wasted it, that I spent it on things that didn't really matter, man, that's terrifying. The reality is, you get one shot at life. You get one shot at being 16. You get one shot at high school, one shot at, your, at college. You get one shot at your 20s, at your 30s. There are no do-overs. Are you about what the Spirit's about? If you're not seeing the outpouring of the Spirit's power, maybe you're not traveling down the same road. Maybe you're not sharing the gospel, being active in what His purposes are. That's what these guys are involved in in Acts. That's the crucial thing is knowing Christ and making him known. That's what he empowered them to do on the harvest festival, on Pentecost, to gather in the harvest. And we're inhabited by that same spirit. So we should pray for the spirit's power to fight sin, bring joy, and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's pray.